the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Brethren in Christ, Laudete Jesus Christus. I wanted to hop on here before Holy Week begins and talk about the Holy Days of Opportunity. Um, a friend of mine was talking about some of the Holy Days of Obligation that get transferred, like uh, Ascension Thursday uh, and various things like there used to be, I believe, St. Joseph was a Holy Day of Obligation. But so she, she, coined the term for me of holy days of opportunity. And in these days of quarantine, what we have here is uh, a series of holy days of opportunity. We need to look at these as an occasion for our spiritual growth, an occasion for humility. Vigano, in his most recent interview, said that we need to use this time and accept this time, uh, saying fiat, let it be done to me, as Our Lady said. Accept this time in punishment for our own sins, re making reparation for others. And in particular, I would like to suggest one thing that is really necessary, very needed, is the renewal of mental prayer. Mental prayer used to be sort of the standard uh, before the most recent liturgical reforms. And uh, mental prayer is... Something we'll talk about this in just a second. Um, but mental prayer is something that was done at the Holy Liturgy. Uh, there was much more silence than there is now. Um, so mental prayer, just simply defined, is the prayer which is using your mind to focus on something and not so much speaking, not so much using your words, whether that's vocally or in your mind. So mental prayer is the actually the second step in the nine levels of prayer. The uh, nine levels of prayer include, um, there is vocal prayer. So vocal prayer is the very lowest rung. Let me pull up the, um... So I'm going to read a little bit from Spiritual Theology by Amen. Um, so the, there's these different levels of prayer, which the, the saints have always believed in these different things, but the... The mystics, the Carmelites, especially St. Teresa of Avila, St. John of the Cross, uh, and those who followed after them, delineated these different steps. So there is uh, nine steps in the, the nine levels of prayer. Um, so it starts with vocal prayer. So vocal prayer is using your words, whether that's internal or external. So just using words at all in prayer is the bottom rung of the, all the prayer levels. So then there's the mental prayer. So mental prayer is, in particular, it's in the intellect, and we'll talk more about that. But meditation or mental prayer, it's also there's also multiple names for these things too, so it's kind of confusing sometimes. But um, so meditation or mental prayer, um, that's the the second level. So that's focusing your intellect on a thing, and when you focus on that thing, it moves your will. And so the reason that mental prayer is so powerful, St. Alphonsus said that everybody should be doing 15 minutes of mental prayer every single day. Um, and the reason it's so powerful is because by our very constitution that God created, our will follows our intellect. So what we're thinking about, the things that we're thinking about, uh, leads our will to that thing. And this is self-evident for many. So, you know, for example, when you have somebody who's sick in the hospital, and they, you have two different sick people. One person is very positive and very optimistic, trying to be hopeful, just has a positive attitude. That, that person's thinking about 
trying to get out of this sickness. And, and you see that their will follows that their intellect and they recover a lot sooner. So that it, it causes a whole change in their whole demeanor. Their, even their physiology is, is changing and following their intellect. Whereas somebody who is sick in, in the hospital, who is uh, despairing, just thinking about all these just, you know, hopeless thoughts, that person may deteriorate. And this is something that is really acknowledged by secularists. And that's just a, the constitution of our bodies and minds. So our soul is made up of our intellect and our will. So our intellect is ordered towards knowing the truth. Our will is ordered towards doing the good. So mental prayer is all about focusing your intellect on the truth. And then that moves your will to do the good. So that, that leads into affective prayer. That's A uh, with the letter A, affective prayer. Um, that's more of willing something. So that's when your will sort of takes over and you are just willing. And now keep in mind, all of this is with very little or no words, because num remember, number one is the vocal prayer. That's the one with the words. So number two and three, affective prayer. Then four is the prayer of simplicity. That is even more about your will. And then it goes into the the higher reaches of this. So there's uh, number five is infused contemplation. Number six is prayer of quiet. Number seven is prayer of union. And then you have eight and nine, which are prayer of the conforming union and nine, the prayer of transforming union. So we're not going to talk about all those higher levels. I'm not qualified at all to talk about those. I'm I'm not even that qualified <laughs> to talk about no prayer. I'm just going to try to repeat what these masters are saying. So don't take me as some, some kind of expert here. But um, what I'm going to try to do here is just talk about what mental prayer is. And because unfortunately, it's, it's something that's been very much lost. We'll talk about why that is. Um, so, so like I said, mental prayer is focusing the intellect on a truth, which moves the will towards doing the good. That's what mental prayer is. Um, the uh, Allman just defines it as, <clears throat> excuse me, he defines it as meditation can be defined as a reasoned application of the mind to some supernatural truth in order to penetrate its meaning love it and carry it into practice with the assistance of grace. And so that the, the key is that you're not just thinking, it's not just a speculative study. You're not just studying something. You are focusing your intellect in order that your will may love. That is the key. It's not simply just study. So that's one of the key things. Now, briefly, I want to talk and, and discuss why mental prayer is completely neglected. I'm going to quote from uh, Sacrosanct Chilium, Vatican II. It says, quote, in the restoration and promotion of the sacred liturgy, this full and active participation by all the people is the aim to be considered before all else, for it is the primary and indispensable source from which the faithful are to derive the true Christian spirit, end quote. That's paragraph 14. Well, the issue with this is that our fathers have been practicing mental prayer at the Holy Liturgy for centuries. They've been silent and they've been praying within their souls during the sacred liturgy. So this idea that the true Christian spirit is really active participation where people are actively exteriorly praying or singing as some sort of a higher uh, method of prayer is false. According to the traditional uh, St. Teresa of Avila, uh, St. John of the Cross and, and all the saints is this idea that vocal prayer is somehow higher. Now, it could be higher subjectively, meaning uh, this individual is profits more from vocal prayer because vocal prayer can help you 
be more attentive sometimes. Like if you're if your mind is just racing and you can't focus on anything, sometimes vocal prayer is better for that person at that time. That's true subjectively. But on the objective level, mental prayer is uh, uh, objectively higher because it more closely approximates the beatific vision. And so this idea that vocal prayer was somehow higher was is a, actually a spiritual error. It's an error in the spiritual life to say, well, we have to be all praying together vocally, exteriorly. And if everybody's silent and they're praying interiorly and mental prayer, that's inferior. That's, that's incorrect. That's our error. And so this, that is, but that whole concept, the active participation of the faithful in the liturgy, that is the whole, that's like I said, that, that is the aim to be considered above all else. And so that is this concept that dominated the liturgical reforms. And that was really everything that um, motivated them to translate the liturgy to the vernacular, to simplify everything down, uh, to put all the laity and participate in the sanctuary. All this had to do with the active participation. And it all starts with this crucial error that vocal prayer is somehow higher than mental prayer. It's wrong. Uh, think about St. Teresa of Avila in ecstasy at the holy sacrifice of the mass or any saint having any sort of vision at the holy sacrifice of the mass, they are silent praying in the transforming union, having a vision. They're silent. They're not singing with the congregation. They're not having this sort of exterior active participation. So these reformers would take issue with that. They'd take issue with St. Teresa of Avila because she's having this sort of interior private moment. So that that's the type of, that's that is the error that really is the spiritual error that has has blossomed in that. And then, not to be fair, even traditionalists who love the Latin Mass, they think that the only way they can participate, or many of them do, obviously, you know, not everybody, but missiles did not exist for centuries. Our fathers did not use missiles for centuries. So I I love I use a missile. I pray the Rosary. I I, I love using the missile, but. The missile is not how our fathers worshiped in the Latin Mass, and so it's not—it's not saying the missile is inferior. I'm simply saying that we can also participate in the Holy Sacrifice in a different way than even than using the missile. So, uh, what I want to get at here is the mental prayer. So, once again, uh, this is confirmed. The fact that mental prayer is higher than vocal prayer is also confirmed by the Roman Catechism, Catechism of Trent. It says, quote, this spiritual manner of praying, i.e. mental prayer, does not exclude the use of vocal prayer. Nevertheless, that prayer, which is the vehement outpouring of the soul, deservedly holds the first place, i.e. mental prayer is of the first place, vocal prayer is second place. And although not uttered with lips, it is heard by God to whom the secrets of the heart are opened, end quote. So that's part four introduction, Roman Catechism. Now, again, um, I'm also going to quote from uh, the... Let's see, Gary Goulagrange. I want to make sure this is. So this is the classic in the spiritual life. This is also available for free online with the Roman Catechism. Um, excellent. This is the classic of the 20th century. He says, "Quote: We feel the need when we feel a need for more intimate prayer, in which our soul, more profoundly recollected, meaning more profoundly." Uh, in attention about God comes into contact with the blessed Trinity dwelling in us, which can make us penetrate deeply and taste the mysteries of salvation. 
those of the redeeming incarnation of the sacrifice of the mass of eternal life toward which we are traveling. This more intimate prayer is mental prayer. So it's a more intimate prayer. And obviously it should be self-evident, but the Latin mass is, and, and this is also true for the Eastern rites. In my experience in the Byzantine rite, there is a, still a very strong emphasis on mental prayer. It's going to, take different forms in the East, but even, but in the West, you, the Latin mass is very easily and quickly uh, any, any soul can, and can engage in mental prayer, the Latin mass, because there is so much more silence. There's so much more of a, of a, there's not that pressure. So the Novus order, there's sort of this pressure that you have to be singing with the congregation. You have to be doing that. Now, let me be clear again, subjectively vocal prayer, vocal singing, or, you know, the congregation singing together, out loud is certainly beautiful and wonderful and can be very profitable for many souls. So I'm saying subjectively that, and, and that can even be subjectively better for a particular soul at a particular time. But it is not true to say objectively that this vocal prayer, public prayer is superior to mental prayer. That's, that's an error. That's incorrect. So one way that uh, Gary Lagrange quotes the, this uh, scene, perhaps you've heard of the uh, Corre de Ar, the um, St. John Vianney. He questions this peasant who was just sitting in his church. And the peasant says, I look at our Lord who is in the tabernacle and he looks at me. And Gary Lagrange says, this is, this is kind of the, the all of mental prayers right there. Just looking at the Lord and he looks at me. And that's something that you do again without words. You're not thinking you're not uh, trying to form syllables or thoughts as much as focusing your mind. Your intellect is ordered towards knowing the truth. So you're focusing on the truth. You focus on what that truth is. And I'm going to, if anybody wants to comment or uh, let's see, I don't know if you guys have any questions or anything. Um, let's see. I'll, I'll get to those at the end. I'm just going to get through a few things. I'm not, I'm going to try to go into too much detail here. I don't have a lot of time to go through that. We'd like, I would like to do a full fuller show. It's more like an hour to get through a lot more detail, but I just wanted to recommend a few uh, resources um, that are really great. First of all, Introduction to the Devout Life has a really great guide for mental prayer. Um, it's um, starting in, let's see, chapter, he actually goes through, and it's, it's if you go to the website, meaningofcatholic.com, there is under resources, there's a section about mental prayer. It's just, and it's a link straight to this section in devout life. So, it, and he goes through what is mental prayer, how to do it. And then he has these great guides. Um, so let's see, starting in chapter nine it is it's, it, he has just a, a, a number of great meditations and it, and the great, especially when you're beginning mental prayer is really great with a really good guide, which says now you do this, now you do this. And it, and then it gives you all the things to meditate on. Um, those, those guides are really excellent. So I really recommend St. Francis of Sales on that. Um, there's another great book that I would recommend, especially during Holy week. Um, the, so this app right here, IPATA, if you don't have this, I guess it's probably not going to go through the screen very well, but IPATA is in my opinion, the best Catholic app out there. It is so excellent, free. Um, and one of the books they have on that is, uh, school of Jesus Christ crucified by Father Ignatius. Uh, he's a passionist priest in the 19th century. School of Jesus Crucified is 
absolutely excellent. It has a it's a 30-day devotion to the passion of our Lord. Every single day is a new step in the passion. And he goes through just meditations. And this is just so excellent for, for a mental prayer. He's just taking a few of these, just reading a little bit. Um, Saint uh, Therese says that mental prayers has especially helped, you know, when you're trying to focus with your mind, but you're so distracted, it's very helped if you just read. You just take one spiritual reading and you start reading a little bit. And then once you have something that you can focus on, that you feel the grace of God enabling you to really focus on it, then you can focus on that thing and you can spend your time doing that. Now, remember, St. Alphonsus says 15 minutes of mental prayer per day, especially med- meditating on the passion is especially um, especially efficacious, especially good. Uh, I wanted to grab this, this quote that I had from... Uh, Let's see if I have that other book here. There's a, another great text. I don't know where it is, but it's called Difficulties in Mental Prayer. It's a 20th century work by uh, Boylan, and he has a, a lot of great stuff to say, and that's very short work. Um, so he says, quote, If distractions are involuntary, but are accepted as a trial permitted by God for his own wise end, then insofar as they unite us to Christ in suffering by his will, they are a help rather than an otherwise to our prayer, end quote. So when you're starting off doing mental prayer, it's very difficult because you're so distracted. I mean, I get distracted all the time when I'm doing a mental prayer. And what Boylan's getting at here is that when distractions are involuntary, which means that the distractions come, and remember the fallen angels, the demons, they'll do anything to stop you from praying, anything. They want you to go preach the gospel and feed the poor and go to confession, anything, anything, anything they can do to stop you from praying. That is absolutely fundamental. So that's why you, you, always, you always reject every single distraction whatsoever, except if there's you know, a, you know, a grave need that presents itself to you immediately or so, you know, someone's in need. Or, you know, there are certain grave causes for actually getting distracted, willing that. But most of the time, all the distractions that come to you are come to you from the world, the flesh and the devil, particularly the devils. And you reject every single one of them. But, and, and, and if you voluntarily entertain the distractions, that is a venial sin. So you're trying to pray, but you're going to just turn away from God and just go into all whatever distractions that is a venial sin. But when they're involuntary, which means they just come at you, you passively receive them, but you do not actively, uh, allow them, you enter, don't entertain them. They actually can be a cause for merit, like Boylan is saying here. So when you're starting off and you just feel so distracted and you spent these 15 minutes just so distracted this whole time, you've just been fighting and fighting, trying to be focused. That 15 minutes was an occasion for merit. That 15 minutes was an occasion for your spiritual life. And God sees that because that was an act of charity towards God. That was an act of love towards God. When you fought for 15 minutes, even though you feel like nothing happened, but that is an occasion for merit, and you need to thank God for that too, and also give thanks to God, even for these dry periods, these distracted times. So I want to really recommend that. So Date Francis de Sales, um, definitely take a look at uh, Father Ignatius. Um, and so I want to, if anybody has any questions uh, or any comments, we can we can take a look at that. Um, so. P.S. Aquinas Laws says, shall we pray as in Matthew 6, 5, 6 in privacy? Um, yeah, that's that's kind of what we're getting at here is that the father who sees what is done in secret shall reward you. That's actually 
In fact, that's exactly what Gary Goulagrange quotes in the beginning of his chapter on mental prayer. Pray to thy father in secret, and thy father who seeth in secret will repay thee. Uh, but in particular, that verse of our Lord is going against the, the, the hypocrites of his day who are just praying for a show. And so, especially in the sacred liturgy, we should it is an act of charity to do all we can to not distract our neighbor, if possible. Now, if you're going, for example, if you're going to the Novus Ordo, and you know you kneel and ask for the Holy Christ on the tongue, that is going to be a distraction. But in that case, it is a grave cause for distraction. It's something that's necessary to give proper reverence to the Blessed Sacrament. Um, but absolutely, that's that's you know we should always keep all of our prayer life and our works and our good works secret as much as possible. Um, I think that, like, I usually talk to my children about my prayer life or whatever, just because they need to know about that. That's part of my duties as a father, you know, so I'm not going to keep them secret from them. And, you know, I want, I also want them to see me praying, not that because I, I want to feel good about myself is because I want them to see their father praying so that they follow after me. That's a, trying to make a good example of that. So that is, um, a very important thing about that. Um, I really like what uh, Memento Mori says. Uh, the point is not to think much, but to love much. Uh, and so that, yeah, that's really the point of mental prayer is to you're using your intellect so that your will can can follow your intellect and can love. That's the whole purpose. And that's what effective prayer, the level three, if you get to level three, God, God bless you. You know, if you lived, got to that point, you are in a state of willing to love God. And, and, and it's, you know, an unspoken love. Um can you put the name of those books below? Yeah, I'll, I'll add those to all the notes. Um, so once again, the uh, the one I recommend, St. Francis de Sales, go, go to meaningofcatholic.com. You go to resources, and I have all the links for all these books. Um, a lot of them are online, too, so that you can get them for free. So um, Introduction to Devout Life. And then uh, just download the IPA app. Everybody just needs to download that. It's just so excellent. They've got tons of resources in there. It's it's um very excellent. Uh, let's see. Introduction about life. Let's see. Um, Alan Rule, what's up, man? He says, uh, how is mental prayer similar to or different than the Eastern Orthodox practice of hesychasm? Um, this is a very controversial topic that I'm not going to get into. Uh, not even have time for that. But hesychasm basically is, I, I mean, I on the exterior, I've never actually, I've I've spent a week at a at a Greek monastery before. Um, but I would not consider myself any kind of expert or master on hesychasm. But the Eastern practice is far more vocal uh, in the sense that it uses mantras. So the mantra of the Jesus prayer, which is Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me, the sinner, is prayed on their, their version of a, of a similar rosary. They pray that uh, thousands and thousands of times a day. If you read the Russian classic, um, way of the pilgrim that is kind of getting at how this kind of breaks down in the Eastern customs. And, uh, but there are also controversies with hesychasm with certain aspects of it, because there are certain teachings of some of the hesychasts that are kind of a little weird to the Western mind. And some of this has not even been decided by Rome because when the Eastern Orthodox came into communion with Rome at Florence, some of the practices of polemism or some of the polemic Palomite doctrines were approved by the Franciscans at Florence who said to Pope Eugenius that it shouldn't be a controversy. And Pope Eugenius just 
took it off the table. So they'd never even resolve some of this stuff. So, um, but I, I would definitely say uh, when you look at kind of the basics of the Jesus prayer, uh, way of the pilgrim, or you read John St. John Climacus, I definitely see strong parallels though. It just, it parallels there. It just takes a lot of different forms. Um, but that's, that's a subject to a lot of, uh, for another, <laughs> another show. I hate to, hate to cut you off there, Alan, but we can talk privately if you want more. Um, so CF says, question, how do you know uh, that when you think you're speaking to God, you're not speaking to your own will? Um, that's an extremely important question because, as I've discussed before, there is the false gospel of psychology. The false gospel of psychology is all about your feelings. It's all about you feeling good about yourself. And people have an emotional high and they think that's God. But God, if he's drawing you to the higher the heights of the spiritual life, he's actually going to take away these spiritual consolations because the spiritual, even the spiritual consolations, he wants to take those away so that you love him in the dryness. You love him according to the cross, according to suffering. You love him for his own sake, not for whatever he gives you. Uh, so that's a very, very crucial aspect of this question, in my opinion, is, is distinguishing between uh, consolations and the suffering because we should all long and want suffering because it detaches us from creatures. We want to love suffering. And that that's, that's why these days are holy days of opportunity. We need to love the suffering that God's giving us because it detaches us from creatures. It, it makes us imitate like our forefathers in Japan spent 200 years without priests. And so they kept the faith and we need to Remember that. Remember our fathers, the English martyrs, the English who, you know, they endured centuries not having priests and keeping the faith secretly and, you know, having masses once a year, maybe, or, you know, keeping their priests in, in little priest holes. So um, that's the most important thing. But I want to get try to get more at the question here, CF. Um, so when you think you're speaking to God, you're not you're not speaking to your own will. Well, um, on the one hand, there is the general will of God, which is always the same. Um, so overcoming sin, overcoming the seven deadly sins, you know, those things are always sort of absolutely crystal clear. You know, you um, mortal sin, getting out of mortal sin. Um, I think a lot of deceptions happen, especially with sins of the flesh, where um, the devil tries to convince us that they're not that severe. But in fact, the sins of the flesh, according to Our Lady of Fatima and St. Alphonsus, are the sins that damn above all else. Um, so I think getting, first of all, the most important step here, I think in getting at this question is um, getting to know the the general will of God, which is universal to every soul. Um, so the basics of the virtues, the seven deadly sins, the contrary virtues, um, the four, four uh, moral virtues, the three theological virtues. Um, again, if you go to meaningofcatholic.com, and then go to resources, there's a section called miscellaneous, and then there is list of Catholic doctrines with links to the Summa. That is just a long list of all these basics, like the seven deadly sins and everything. So that's a very important thing about it. So uh, so you're, you're asking like discerning job stuff. Yeah. So um, I had this put, so that's, that's then going to be more of the particular will of God. So the things that you are discerning for yourself in terms of the will of God for, should I take this job? Should I not take this job? So the second thing to consider then, besides the general will of God, the particular will of God then comes into your state in life. So what is your state of life? Are you single? Are you married? 
Are you religious? Whatever. So then you have, again, that's go back to that resources that I mentioned. That's going to give you particular duties as well. So the duties of your state in life are paramount. Um, duties of your state in life even come before your prayer life in a sense, meaning you cannot extend your prayer life to such a point that you neglect your duties of your state in life. So you, the duties of your state in life are your particular will. So, you know, if you, if you are choosing about choosing a job, um, you need to think about your duties of your state in life. So I'm a father. My duties of my state in life are to pr provide enough so that my wife can stay home with the kids. That's one of the factors that I would consider with any job and which kind of goes down to the money factor. Um, but there's also other factors like, you know, am I going to be placed in a near occasion of sin with this job? Then I shouldn't take it or different things like that. So there's kind of some basic objective principles that we can talk about in terms of a particular situation, like choosing a job or choosing a situation. So you got your duties of your state in life. Take a look at that resource I mentioned. Duties of your state in life, your particular uh, vocation, um, the things that you need to fulfill your duties of state in life. And then even further, there are further subjective or particular circumstances. Um, but here's some basics is, um, Talk to someone who's old and wise. That's a very important thing. Call your father if he's pious or another old Catholic. Talk to him about the situation. Talk to a priest if you can. I know the priests, priests, maybe a lot of them have a lot of time right now. You know, they're they're trying to do something and trying to be stay busy caring for souls. So find a good priest. Um, so talk to someone. That's a very important thing because our subjective frame of mind, especially if we're praying and trying to find the discerning the will of God, it's really easy to just sort of listen to your own will and just think it's the will of God. But a good way to test that is to talk with a, another individual, a third party who can look through all your passions and emotions and just kind of look at it a lot more objectively. So I would say, get that third opinion, get that uh, third party involved, talk to somebody who's wise, old and wise. Um, talk to your spouse about it, your significant other, of course, um, your parents. Um, so discuss, weigh the pros and cons. Um, sometimes, there will not be a clear answer. And when there's not a clear answer, you need to consider as much as you can with your reason, as much as you can with your prayer, and then you need to make a decision to do it. And now, so like when I was, when I got married with my wife, um, we were, we both were best friends and we were trying to discern if God wanted to be married. And one, one factor is that God does give grace. According to Ripperger, God does give grace of inclination. So you may be inclined towards something. You may want it, because God's grace has given you that grace. So, um, but when you do have an inclination towards the thing, according to reason, according to all sound advice, but there's still not very clear answer, then um, the, the method that has worked for me at least, and take this for what it's worth, like I'm not, I'm not an expert or anything, but the method that I've used is I take Lent and I say, I'm going to pray, you know, five decades or whatever, some kind of prayer rule. And I offer it up to God and I say, God, I, everything that I'm thinking and praying about is leading me towards X, but I don't know for sure if it's your will or not. So what I'll do is I'm going to offer up these prayers for this amount of time. And if you turn my will away from it, I will not do that. Otherwise I'm going to go forward with X. And so that is an important, I think that's a, a helpful practice because it keeps you from indecision so that you just don't do, don't do anything. You're too scared, too scrupulous to do anything. Um, and it also keeps you from being too presumptuous and, and too um, thoughtless that the, the sins against prudence are uh, recklessness, thoughtlessness, precipitation, you know, when you're rejecting counsel, but 
you should, you need to make a decision. So if it's really, you know, a serious thing, I, I, or if it's a smaller thing, what I'll do is I'll just take, um, I'll just offer it up at the, at the next Sunday mass and I'll just offer it up and say, God, I'm planning to do this and this and this, because this seems right to me. I'm offering up to you, turn my will away from it. If it is not your will. So that's what me and my fiance at the time, that's what we did. We prayed every day for a period of time and said, God, if it is not your will that we've been married, then turn our wills away from it. That's what we did. And that's, and God did not turn our will away from it. So we moved forward with it um, using sound counsel. So um, I, I don't have a lot of time. I'm just going to take these two last two questions. If you have any further questions, you can contact me, meaningofcatholic.com. Um, There's a contact or you can comment. Um, Kathy says, how do you explain who are the poor in spirit are from the Beatitudes? Where do I find the true de definitions? Director sent me videos of Pope Francis explanation, but God forgive me. Okay. Um, yeah. So poor in spirit is there's different, actually there's different meanings of that. Um, but the most important meaning is um, being free from all attachments to creatures. That's one of the aspects of the mental prayer that we're kind of talking about here is being free from all attachments, free from everything that you're attached to. Um, and uh, so being poor in spirit is, uh, is in particular that way. There's a great section in Thomas. If you look at in the, look it up in the Summa um, again, Ipieta, you got to get it um, where he talks about the Beatitudes are basically these different uh, levels of prayer that we've been talking about. Um, but poor in spirit in particular is someone who's detached from everything uh, detached from all creatures and accepting suffering. So that's one aspect of it. Um, but if you want to message me, uh, Kathy, and I, we can talk more about it because I don't have a lot more time. Um, but then Mimi uh, says, are we not supposed to feel joy? Yes, we are supposed to feel joy. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Ghost. Uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. cetera. Um, so joy, however, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is when you're practicing the virtues and you are doing the virtues and especially the joy comes when you are even suffering. The joy in suffering is the most lasting and powerful joy because you are, um, the St. Paul says, for the joy set before him, our Lord endured the cross. And so there is a joy in the suffering. So, um, but there, we would make a distinction between joy in the sort of spiritual joy, which is not dependent on creatures. That would be the difference between a more sort of emotional joy, uh, which is dependent on creatures. So that's, that may be just a, an emotional joy here. Yeah. Yep. Um, so uh, that's all we have time we have. Um, send me all your questions if you have anything um, and uh, we'll get back to you. God bless everybody.